Okay, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. And yes, we have a number of people away today at various retreats and various things going on. But it's great to have you here with us this morning. If you have a Bible with you, please open it to John chapter 15. Very uh, familiar place we're going to go back to today. We are in a series called Locally Grown, the Fruit of the Spirit. This is the eighth week in this series, which is, I don't know, I... I I think it's a, it's a good idea that the preacher actually enjoy it and uh, be into it. I just, I, I love what we're discovering together here. And so, yeah, we've been doing this. We've, been, we've, we've seen that we're talking about a singularity called the fruit of the Spirit. And then there's these many facets, nine of them. And so it's incredible. The, the main verses are the main verse. Yeah, the main verses for our series are, they'll be on screen for you here this morning. Uh, yes, Alec, thank you. Uh, are Galatians 5, there we go, 22 to 23. Paul teaching the church in Galatia about all of the false teaching that's been coming into the church, and then all of a sudden in chapter 5 he drops in. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So today we're going to turn to goodness, which follows on from kindness. And some of us are like, because I was, what's the difference between kindness of God, the the facet or the attribute of God that is kindness and goodness? And so that's what we're going to look at today. And I thought it would be a good time for us to reprise, to go back to John 15. We looked at this uh, passage, uh, I believe in our second message of introduction. And I want to go back to it today just to remind us, I'm just going to read it. We'll uh, refer to a few things in it afterwards, but let's just meditate it on it while I read it. You can follow along with me in your Bibles or on your apps. That would be great. John 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus speaking to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides abides in me, and I in him, he it is, she it is, that bears much fruit." For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I think we get the message, right? Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for, yeah, just this day to be here to sing praises to you. Oh, Lord, as we were singing some of the words that uh, of some of those songs, it was so beautiful to see that, yes, you are so, so good. That in your goodness, you actually run after us. You desire and delight in us. So, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray today as we look at your goodness, the fruit of goodness, that you will truly show us and reveal to us yourself more clearly. Show us us your beauty, (laughs) your goodness, as you did to Moses, as we will see, and before him. I pray your blessings upon us now in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So, uh, a, a a very quick synopsis. Uh, of how Jesus' teaching from John 15 connects with our series, as we've already seen, the fruit of the Spirit. He illustrates it rather simply. And that's why I loved going from Galatians 5, where, where Paul just drops two verses, and it's like, okay, that's it? Like, how, how, do we, how do we understand that? Well, Jesus illustrated it very well. He, Jesus, of course, is the vine that the branches who are you and I who are in Christ have been grafted into by the Holy Spirit. We didn't do anything to get ourselves attached to the vine. He chose us. The Holy Spirit grafted us in to that vine. Our Heavenly Father is the vine dresser who, yes, he prunes us. And and, and the amazing thing about that is as we are beginning to bear fruit, and it's like, hey, God, look, look at me. I'm bearing fruit. It's looking good. He prunes us. He cuts us back, which hurts. Why? So that we will bear more fruit. And so that we will bear and display the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, and all the facets of the run fruit that we will bear. Then as we continue in our Christian life and walk, and listen, this is the important part, abiding in Christ, the Holy Spirit, Abiding in Christ, attached to that vine, gripping onto that vine every day, the Holy Spirit is the one who produces the fruit, continues the ripening process in us, which is our sanctification. So Jesus reveals to us in verse 8 that it is this fruit. I find this amazing. I return to it every week, I think. It is this fruit. It is these facets that we are to display that are supernatural. They're not the natural ways in which people try to display love, joy, peace, etc. They're supernatural. Why? Because of the fruits of the Spirit. They're very different. But it is these fruit, those facets, that prove to this lost and dying world that we are his disciples. Not fancy apologetics, all for it. Anybody who knows me knows I love apologetics. Not, not that. This. This. And, of course, sharing the gospel with men and women who are far from God. Finally, then, in this passage, we learn a great deal about the first two facets. It's over and over repeated. Love and joy. The love of the Father, the agape love of the Father, and the joy that was set before him, which was the cross, the joy of Christ, which they want us to experience fully. 
that's why they are at the beginning of the fruit. Uh, so we're going to move to goodness this morning. This past weekend, Janice and I had an amazing opportunity to attend the pastor and spouse's retreat uh, at the Weston Hotel in Whistler. Yes, it was lovely. It was sunny. It was warm. And uh, so pastors and spouses and leaders from all over British Columbia come to our denomination's retreat every year. And it was really, really great. Uh, we had a keynote speaker, as we usually do. And I found it amazing. It's always amazing to me how the Holy Spirit is like, okay, Glenn, you know, yes, I wanted you, I wanted the church to go through the fruit of the Spirit. Where is the guy speaking from the past Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday morning? John 15. <laughs> it's amazing. So he, he's a pastor, uh, Paul Roby, in the United States. He's from Utah, originally from California, moved to Utah 23, 24 years ago to plant a church. I think that's about as crazy as moving to Squamish to plant a church. Amen. It's, it's in the, the heart of Mormon country. People told him before he went to, um, to Utah, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> it's not going to work. People in Abbotsford told me that about coming to Squamish. Just saying. Uh, in 23 to 25 years, they have a church today that is five campuses, approximately 3,000 people coming on a Sunday morning. Not that numbers are important, but this number is important. They have baptized 1,000 Mormons in that time. Now, you talk about tough soil. I want you to think about that, okay? I found that incredibly encouraging. So he didn't spend, he didn't focus on the fruit part of it, as we are. He focused on the joy. The joy. And just brought up some fantastic and encouraging points. One of them was this, is that, and I want us to see this this morning about God, is, is that he is joyful, full of joy all the time. And, and that... All the time, you know what? When he looks at you and he looks at me, those who are his children, he delights in you. He delights in me. And trust me, I know I'm imperfect. That was incredibly encouraging for us pastors and our wives to hear. So I have a question for you this morning on that note then, and that question is this. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of God? I'll just let that sit for a second. I'll repeat it. What is the very first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? If you've been with us for any number of years, <laughs> you'll know how it works here. Uh, we go through books of the Bible verse by verse, and oftentimes we get to passages in books where we, we've learned something like this. We've learned that it, it's amazing. You go through a passage, and all it's right there. It's in the verses. You can't avoid it. I can't avoid it, so I have to preach it to you. And it's all about God, God's omniscience. And it's about the fact that he, he knows everything. He sees everything. Regardless of your worldview or your biblical view on certain things, I believe he also knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. He sees and hears everything. And he can read our very minds. Oftentimes, when I'm preaching those passages, I'll say, that's pretty frightening, isn't it? Think about it. Think about it this way. What if your husband or your wife or your best friends, heaven forbid your pastor, was able to read your mind right now <laughs> or tomorrow or while you're stuck in traffic or at the grocery store in a lineup? What if? Well, that might be frightening, right? Yes, it might be. And so I, I've often said this. Um, 
during those passages, I've always tried to make it clear and, and clarify it. Um, the reason why that would be frightening really is because, well, we're sinful human beings. Our thoughts are not pure all the time. Anybody got the t-shirt? They're just, they're just not pure all the time, right? They're just not. And so we, we, we have these terrible thoughts. But with God, and this would have been highlighted, I always try to highlight in these messages, despite knowing our very thoughts, observing our very actions, despite knowing all those things, even when we're like doubting him and, and clearly not following the commands of Christ, our God's not waiting to pounce on us. Amen? He's not ready and willing to punish us. Instead, he wants to love us. And how does he express our love, Christian? Well, he prunes us. <laughs> he prunes us, which is a form of discipline. And so again, despite my persistent pleas during those sermons where I ask you, please hear me, some might leave thinking, and I know people have left thinking this, and it's, it can be that way. Oh, my goodness. I think what I just heard today is God is waiting to zap me. He, he's waiting to punish me. You know, that, that could be the, maybe worse. Maybe he's no longer going to love you. Maybe your salvation is lost. That's worse. So this sadly is the view that honestly many people have, non-Christians and some Christians may have that view of what God is like. So like I said two weeks ago, there are those who read the Old Testament, sadly, who read the Old Testament and, and when they read the Old Testament, they see, like I'm just, we're just going through our life journaling and, and it's all about, mostly about David and, you know, David killed a lot of people, you know that, right? He, he killed a lot of people. He obliterated virtually nations. Why? At the command of God. And so we look at the God of the Old Testament, right? And people see that, and they see the, the God of the Old Testament pouring out his wrath and his anger on rebellious, sinful people. And we're like, oh, that's God? And then as we saw two weeks ago, well, yes, it's how he acts out sometimes, but we also can miss how patient he has been, and he is constantly with us. He's long-suffering with all of us. And so again this morning, I'm going to ask it again. What is the first thing that comes into your mind when you think of God? I think it's critically important. A.W. Tozer put it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's him, right? <clears throat> I love old dead guys to quote. They're usually... It's a very famous quote. It's true. Very true. It tells us a lot. Because it, it'll also impact how we live out our Christian life. E either feeling like he delights in me, or he's angry with me. Frustrated with me. So it's really important. But what often people don't do is they don't read or quote on from what he said. And when I saw that, I wanted to show it to you. He said this, right after that quote, he says this, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever riven, risen above its religion, its belief in who God is or what he is like. We don't rise above that. Then he adds this, 
And our spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of who God is. I think that's actually quite profound. In other words, what he's saying is our view of God, whether our confessing belief in that God or our denial of him and who he is, has consequences not simply at the personal Christian faith walk level, but for all of society, for all of society, which is why, again, our fruit needs to be on display to prove that we're disciples of this loving and joyful and patient and God. So what should we think then about this God, our God, the one true God? Well, can you imagine, let me ask you this, can you imagine God this way? Can you imagine, have you imagined, do you imagine that at every moment, at every second, at every millisecond of every day, God is smiling? (laughs) He's always joyful. Love and joy and peace, these things never go away. He is always, do you see him that way? Now I know God is spirit, Jesus, you know, God, man, do you? You see God that way. When you, when you pray, when you pray, our Father, are you, are, you, are you imagining that he's going, Glenn, you took some time. Thank you. This is great. But I was smiling. I was joyful. I was happy and loving towards you before you knelt to pray. Imagine that. We know that from 1 John, God is love. We know that about him, right? But we also know, I hope you know now from this series, that God is all of the facets of the fruit of the Spirit perfectly, and that they are supernatural. They're different than the man-made natural view that we might have of them. So we, we know these things. These are his, listen, his constant state of being. Th- this is how he exists all the time. I'm preaching to me right now, okay? Just so you know this. Okay. I think it's important that I hear this. And so if that is true, and I truly believe it is, let me ask you a question. This is important. True or false? True or false? God is wrath. Anybody? I see some people going, you are right. Ding, ding, ding. No. God is not wrath. It's not the answer. He, it is not in, inherent in his nature at all. However, out of his love, etc., he does act out his wrath. He does. And listen, if he didn't, he would not be a good God. You want him, we want him to punish evil. Amen? Except when it's my evil, right? The old saying is true. God is not good unless he is just. So we need to trust him in that. And I hope you see it that way. So I felt it was important for us to highlight this this morning as we continue because, again, I believe what A.W. Tozer said is right, and that is what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing. I just want to also remind you of Romans 8.1. Christian, please hear this this morning. See, I just did it. Please hear me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay, rest in that, and let's keep going. 
So now as we turn to a goodness, I want to encourage us to see our loving God as a personal God. I know you see that. Who loves that which is, listen, good, and he delights, he delights in that which is good. And as someone who is the essence of all that is good, when he sees what is good, he delights. In fact, I believe every time he sees us doing good and he sees good being lived out as fruit of the Spirit, I mean, the smile gets bigger, I think. His joy increases, if that's at all possible. So you'll likely know the scripture when there was this man who ran up to Jesus, just a man, a random guy, runs up to Jesus, right? And you'll see it on screen. It's in Mark 10, 17. And he runs up to Jesus and he says, good teacher. There's our word. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I love this guy. He's like, just give me the key. Okay. What's the, what's the one thing that I must do? Now that word do is dangerous, right? This man assumes that he can earn it. And good teacher, wise sage, rabbi, just, just tell me what it is, and I'll get, I'll get it done for myself. Well, Jesus' answer is classic. He replies to him. He doesn't even tell him what that is, but he goes to, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, some people confuse that a little bit and go, oh, Jesus is there, right there. He's telling people he's not God. No, that's not what he's saying. He is God in the flesh. He's pointing to something beyond that. He's pointing to the goodness of God that only comes from God. We can't replicate it on our own. This declaration, of course, immediately, in my opinion, confirms our point that any human-produced goodness is merely a facsimile, or as Tim Keller, there we go, quoting him again, likes to point out, it is a counterfeit. Some people hear that word and they go, oh, that's not nice. Well, he defines the counterfeit of goodness in the world. A Christian can, can um, present this kind of goodness, which is not the goodness of God, as this. Manipulative good deeds doing good for others so I can congratulate myself, pat myself on the back, and feel good enough for God and others. I will add that I will do good because I'm expecting something in return. That's not the goodness of God. So that's the counterfeit, as Keller would put it. So let's start, start looking at good, okay? <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you or an app, turn to, you're going to love this, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And some of you are like, Glenn, how many times in 14 years have you taken us to Genesis 1, 2, or 3? Many times. And why is that? Because it's foundational. There's an old saying amongst theologians and commentators and preachers even, is that if we don't get... Genesis 1, 2, and 3, correct. They're foundational. The rest of the Bible will not make sense. It'll fall apart. And so let's go back to that. Let's have a look at that. You know how it all begins? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and so on. And, and then it's interesting. It really is surprising. And I, what I love about going back to it over and over is you start to see things that you didn't see before. <laughs> after it's kind, after it's kind. Wait a second. Evolution, creation, how many? We're not going there this morning. Okay, so we go back to it. What we see, what do we see on day one? Well, we see this. And God said, you remember this? Let there be light. And there was light. Look what's next. And God saw that it was good. First time that we see the word good in the scripture. Again, there's a 
theoretical, theological position that says first mention is always really important, especially if it's repeated. It gives you a context. It gives you, it gives you an understanding to build upon. Saw that the light was good. The Hebrew word is incredibly interesting. Yes, it's correct to des- uh, translate it as good. But another translation for it would equally be true. Joyful. And then lastly, this one really impacted me when I read it. In perfect order. And again, if you study Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, there's a lot in there about order. God is ordering things. And you know what? When God orders things, they are what? It starts with a P. Perfect. Right, okay. Okay, I feel like I'm a teacher in a class. And then we go on to day, the next few days, days uh, uh, day three, he separates the waters and the land and, and then fills the land with the plants and their seeds in them, fruit-bearing trees and all kinds of vegetation and grain. And again, pardon me, and God saw that it was good. It's a refrain, right? And God saw it and said, that's good. He commands, of course, he creates uh, uh, on the fifth, fourth and fifth days, and then on the sixth day, he creates man in his image. This is an important point. Man in his image, male and female as we know, he commands them to go forth and multiply, to fill the earth, have dominion over it, and then we read these words. And God saw everything, the whole cosmos, the earth, everything that he created, including male and female, man and woman, and he said, behold, It was very good. When they put in the Hebrew that word very, which is translated very before it, it means as perfect as you're ever going to get. Superfluously perfect. Hold on. We're not quite there yet. So it's interesting that he puts it this way, isn't it? It's all good. I I can just listen. At this point, I can imagine at the everyday. Now, you you might not imagine things the way I do. But but I look at it this way. I think at the the end of every day when God saw that it was good, but especially after the sixth day, actually on the seventh day, when he's resting from the the work of the, all all of the work of his creation, because God never fully rests, otherwise everything would fall apart, right? He's sitting back and he's going, man, that's good. Listen, if you had the power to do even anything, you plant a garden that's really lovely and the soil's clean and things start to sprout. Aren't you a little bit like, hey, how do I, right? A little bit? Well, God's not proud that way. But what he's declaring here is, listen, I, 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 all of that, everything that you see, you, you and me, is very good. And he delights in it. He delights in it. As we move into chapter 2, we encounter a more detailed account of how God actually created the man and the woman. First, Adam from the, from the dust or the clay of the earth. Then, listen, at that point, he breathes. This is really an important point. We don't have time to go into it this morning. He breathes into the nostrils of the man, and it says he became a living creature. So as I said, we don't have time to unpack it, but this is an important point I'll leave with you this morning. What that is saying is Adam became, we became embodied souls. Contrary to what's going on in our world today, our bodies and our souls are not separate entities. People want to do that, but that's not what they are. They are one. We are embodied souls. So next we read, of course, about the infamous tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
there's the tree of life, of course, in the garden. Adam and Eve, they, they kind of they, they ignore that tree. But there's this, and there's the tree that we're not supposed to eat. Don't touch the hot stove, kids. What happens? Right? He points to that tree. It's interesting. I mean, I, as I think about our definitions, it's, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How about this? It's the tree of the knowledge of perfect and imperfect. Good and evil. So I want to see us, uh, this for today. This is the key point. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. Then the Lord God said, uh-oh, something's not good. <laughs> it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so it's not good or joyful or perfect just yet. It was at the end of Genesis 1, because why? Well, male and female were created, but this is the unpacking of it, how he got to that point. And so my point to you this morning on this is, look, we've seen a lot about the goodness of God, right? The goodness of God is, you know what? I am going to create this beautiful cosmos, this beautiful place. I'm going to create a planet that's going to be inhabitable by the kind of creatures that I want to inhabit it. I'm going to place them there. I'm going to put all the vegetation there that they will ever need to eat and and to provide for them. Then I'm going to create this man and this woman. I'm going to put them in a beautiful relationship called a marriage, and and I'm going to tell them, this is yours. How good is that? That's an example of the goodness of God in his creation and in his love for our earthly mother and father, Adam and Eve. And so my key point out of that would be for you to remember is this. God defines what is good. God defines what is good. You and I don't. You know, some people will say, well, you know, so-and-so is a good father or a good teacher. What does that mean? Well, they do good things or they do what they do, their work well. That's, that's true, we can define it that way, but there, there also needs to be some kind of a heart behind that. We often also say here at the Rock Church, and you've probably heard it a million times, God is good to everyone all the time. Amen? It's true. And, and, and frankly, from that story in Genesis where we see good, again, do a word search, good, good, good. Not talking about like a good tree or good, the goodness of God. It's just replete throughout the whole Old Testament. And we see it. These won't be on screen, but in verses, uh, in Psalms, uh, Chapter 136, verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. David saying, give thanks to the Lord. He's good. It's just replete. Psalm 119.68, you are good and what you do is good. That's important. Who you are is good and what you are like and what you do out of that is good as well. And as I alluded to earlier in our, in our introduction, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God replied in Exodus 33.19 this way. I will call, cause, look, all my goodness. I think this is really remarkable. God could have said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come before you. I'm going to show you all of my power. <laughs> well, he did, but all of my holiness. All of my wrath? No. I'm going to show you all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. In his commentary that I've been reading and using some uh, from um, called uh, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, Christopher Wright says this. I love it. The goodness of God is axiomatic in the Bible. That means like an axiom in mathematics, 
2 plus 2 equals 4. Doesn't matter what you read on social media. 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's an axiom which is true. It is an affirmed truth that is foundational to all other deductions and calculations you make. It's foundational. And then he adds, no matter what the circumstances are or appear to be, God is good and God does good. God is good to everyone all the time. And that's why uh, it's interesting. I love this. Why, why Joseph was famously able to say to his brothers, remember that story? He was able to say to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, as for you guys, I mean, they're, they're in fear in front of Joseph at this moment, right? Like, they're like, he is going to kill us, right? He knows what we did. And yet he's able to say, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God turns evil things into good. He causes, he allows and causes, quite frankly, circumstances, trials, sufferings, persecutions in my life, in your life, so that we will bear more fruit. Turning evil into good. So the fruit of goodness was rather ripe in Joseph, wasn't it? Oh my, what a fantastic story. And despite, listen, despite how horribly his brothers treated him, and they, they wanted him to die. They hated him. They wanted him dead. And despite all that, of doing that, his afflictions, and something God eventually worked out for good. What, what, what Joseph saw was, no, God's going to work this out. God was with him all the way, everywhere, even when he was in prison. He was with him all the time. And why? Because Joseph knew there was a good that was going to come out of this. And what was the good? People didn't die in a fathom. A, fa- a famine, pardon me. Many, many, many people, thousands, maybe millions of people survived a great famine because of what happened to Joseph and because Joseph was there by God's decree to save them. And so there are so many other examples in the Old Testament, but of course for us here today, maybe the most personal and closest example, of course, is Christ. In Acts 10, 38, while preaching the gospel, the good news, right? Isn't that interesting that the gospel is the good news of Jesus and what he has done? Peter, Peter described how, listen, things came to Jesus. He says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And so notice, uh, it is God the Father who anoints Jesus with the fruit fruit producer, the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit who gives him the power, who fills Jesus with the ripe fruit and the power to go about doing good, which included casting out demons, healing the sick perfectly every single time. It was fruit. And so we can see the goodness of God, of course, fully displayed and expressed in Jesus. His model uh, for us, the goodness of God, uh, comes from within. What we can see from that is it comes from within. Jesus was, was not receiving some you know, outside power. It was inside of him. The Holy Spirit was inside of him. And that's the same with us. It's, it's a heart issue. That's for us. Goodness, then, is a heart thing. It comes from inside. What we are inside and only from what we are inside and the, 
the fruit that is being produced in us by the Holy Spirit is what we can actually display. And so I, I've been thinking about that all week related to goodness and to all the other facets of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, wow. Any time where I lose my temper or my patience or whatever, I'm just backing up for a second and asking myself, wow, it's, it's, it's not in here, is it? Obviously, or at least not deeply enough to be expressed the way it should be. And so we need to see that um, that's what we need. Jesus describes it really, really well, actually. It's so succinct the way he puts it in Luke 6. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Hmm. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, so there are good people, out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his or her mouth speaks. It's got to be here. It's got to come from here. I find those words incredibly convicting. Anybody? Very convicting, but encouraging. Come on. So what we do proves who we are. Right? It proves who we are. Our actions on the outside show what, or rather, who we are on the inside. So if Christ, through his Holy Spirit, takes up residence in your life, in your heart, and in mine, then more and more we begin to show the character of Jesus in this way. We think, we speak, and we act like him. Like, actually, we were designed to. (laughs) Like Adam and Eve were designed to. So now, the truth is, of course, in this life, nobody's perfect yet, right? I kind of asked that a little earlier, right? Anybody? No, we're not perfect. We struggle, right? We all struggle. I struggle. Quoted this passage before, actually, in our Roman 8, Romans 8 series that we looked at from Paul. I find these so encouraging. In Romans 7, verses 16 to 18, Paul says this. I mean, here's the, listen again, the, the first verse will be on screen, but, you know, he's the apostle. 20 years planting churches, proclaiming the gospel, writing Romans, Right? which is the book that we're reading from. And he says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. And the law is good. The law is supposed to point us to Christ and to grace. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that we could add still dwells within me. And then he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Nothing good dwells dwells in the old Paul, in the old Glenn, in the old you. Nothing good does. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That is an incredibly good confession. Paul is saying, I I have done some good. He can look in the mirror And he can say, it's one of the things that Paul Roby said in Whistler. He said, you know, listen, at some point when you go home from this retreat, would you you go and stand in front of a mirror and look at yourself and say, hey, you're you're doing okay. You're doing pretty good. And he's talking to pastors. Because you know what? Most of us actually don't believe that often. Do you? I practiced as soon as we got home. (laughs) You're all right, Glenn. You're not so bad. You're actually, no, no, you're not even so bad. You're, You're pretty good. 
Why? Because God delights in me and in you all the time. But we need the Holy Spirit. In order to live out these fruit, this kind of fruit, we need the Holy Spirit again and again. So, again, remembering Jesus' teaching about the vine, we must listen. A daily abide in the vine. What does that look like? A daily abide in his word. What does that look like? Daily put the word of God into your heart. I got nothing else, kids. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a positive mental attitude. That's not going to help you. You need the abiding word of Christ in your heart every day, and that will help produce and nurture and ripen the fruit in you. That's what the Holy Spirit uses, by the way. And then in doing that, we will then prove to this lost and dying world that we are his disciples, and that is your and my best testimony. So I want to leave you with two things this morning. First, another parable that Jesus taught about a vineyard. It's a great parable. We'll just look at some of the basics of it. It's found in Matthew 20, and Jesus begins with these words, which will be on screen. In verse 1, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master. Hint, Jesus. <laughs> a master of a house, of a kingdom, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So now many of you will know this. I'm just going to pass over to the end in a second, but know this story, and it's simply this. What the master of this house, a, a metaphor, a picture of Jesus does, is that at 6 a.m. in the morning, he goes out into the marketplace, and he says, hey, I want to hire you, and I'll pay you a denarius for a good day's wage, a, a good day's work, from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. You in? They all agree. Well, the ones that he talks to agree, and they come, and they begin laboring in his vineyard. Well, then he goes out at 9 a.m. into the same place, into the marketplace, and he asks a few other people, would you like to come and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you a denarius. And they're like, yes. He does that at 12, he does that at 3 p.m., and then, this is interesting, at the 11th hour, it's called, at 5 p.m., he goes back into the marketplace, and he goes, hey, you guys, why are you still standing around? Like, why aren't you working? And they're going, well, because nobody's hired us. And he offers them the same deal. Come to work in my vineyard, and I will pay you a denarius. And they're going, for one hour? We're in. Well, at the end of the day, um, those who started at 6 a.m., they see the people who arrived at 11 a.m., uh, pardon me, at the 11th hour, at 5 p.m., getting a denarius, at 3, a denarius, at 12, a denarius, at 9, a denarius, and they're like, what is going on here? This is clearly not fair. How would you feel about that? Christian? Hold on. Jesus replies to one of them and says, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And then he goes on and says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose? He's the master. With what belongs to me. Or do you begrudge, look at these words, my generosity. That word generosity is the exact same word as Paul uses in, Ephesians, in Galatians 5.22 for goodness. Generosity. 
is the same word. Now, I want you to see a couple things, and then we'll go to a conclusion. But first of all, it is the master, it is Jesus, who's going after. Remember the song we sang in the beginning? Going after, running after me, Jesus initiated. Jesus came into your life, into my life, at a certain point in time in our, in our lives. And he called us to follow him into his kingdom and to be part, laborers in his vineyard. Some of us a little later in life. Some of us much later. And I love the story about the thief on the cross. Remember that one? The guy is beside Jesus. He's dying, right? He's not been to a Bible study. He doesn't know anything about theology, right? Nothing. There's a great Alistair Begg, Pray Big Book, video online about him talking about this. It's very funny. It's very funny the way he goes about it because he's, you know, going before an angel at the gates of the pearly gates and the angel's going, excuse me, uh, just a couple of questions, you know? It's, it's so funny. Like, did you, what Bible study did you go to? What church did you go to? Are you a member, right? And he's going, I, I, no, no, I don't, I don't, And then the guy basically, why are you here? The guy keeps saying, I don't know, I don't know. And then finally the last time he says, why are you, but really, what are you doing here? He goes, the only reason why I'm here is because the man on the middle cross said I could come. I, I feel that there are some Christians out there who, you know, late in life, people come to faith. I've been laboring all my life, Jesus. It's not fair. It's called the goodness of God. He's fair. He's just. He's incredibly generous to all of us. It's a beautiful picture. So that then, I think, points you and I to the key application for you and I here today. The ripened fruit of goodness in you and I is best seen when we, listen, out of the abundance of generosity of heart, of the goodness of the fruit that is in you and I, we we seek to not only treat others in this world today, others in the body of Christ, just simply fairly, but abundantly, with grace, with generosity, with the goodness that is this fruit that we've studied here today. Amen? Let's go and do that today and tomorrow. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll help us do that. I think it would be an incredible blessing. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Um, You are beyond good. Our human comprehension of goodness, oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray today that you would just really amplify that From the meager words, honestly, yes, I know that I have spoken here today, and I mean that. No feigned humility there. They're meager compared to what you can do, Holy Spirit, in each of our hearts to illuminate us, to really comprehend your goodness, your love, and the fact that you delight in us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, those watching online, anyone who views this, who hears this, to, to just remember, Lord, when you look at us, you delight in us. All the time, even when we, when, we, when we stumble, you still delight in us. So, Lord, I need, to, I need to hear that. I need to know that every day, and I know that everyone here does too. So I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would just show that to us every moment. And then when we're feeling that maybe, no, maybe you're not, that, Holy Spirit, you will, you will bring us to pray and to talk to you, Heavenly Father, and hear your voice say, I love you. I've always loved you, and I will continue to always love you. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen.